Servants HM podcast. Um, before we get into this, we have to say Hail Mary because it's something that I've been forgetting in the past and it just doesn't go right. You got to start off well. So we'll start with a, a Hail Mary in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, and our Mother. Pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world, world without God. end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're back in the uh, the Mallow setting, and uh, we're with Father Kevin Deacon, who's uh, he's with us with the Waterford community. So we started a community in, um, this was three months ago, was it? Yeah, it started in 2nd of November. Yeah, November 2nd in Artfinan, the Diocese of Waterford, Lismore, with Bishop Fonzie. So we were uh, we were very blessed to actually get a different community of brothers in Ireland to help us with our mission. And uh, they've, yeah, they're just trying to get their feet, you know, grounded and know the situation. And they're, uh, they're back with us doing their isolation. So we're isolating now for the first couple weeks before they can go back to their community whatever awaits them there as you guys know especially the the guys listening from ireland um ireland's a, a, a unique place in, in so far as it's the only place in europe that doesn't have mass hmm. yeah and the uh before christmas it was also the only country that wasn't doing it and then a couple other countries added on and they're the first ones to come back after Christmas to, to close them down. So there's a situation just in the church here. And as um, the faithful and as priests, it's just like a unique, uh, difficult situation. But um, that's why we're trying to, you know, do these little podcasts and firesides, just basically to give people uh, light and hope. Hope's been a big thing, I think, uh, recently, just because despair has been slowly creeping in and taking over in people's lives, depression, mm-hmm. darkness, weight, um, meaninglessness and uh, I think as shepherds and priests you know we just have to get you know div- delve down into what we've received and um, give people what we've received which is the light of Christ and the life of grace so Father Kevin is here today he's going to give us his his uh, transition from what we, we I think we called it um, dark desolation depths of despair I think the title has something there which is <laughs> Um, relatable with a lot of people like you know darkness to uh priest like you're ordained four years now is it five five years yeah we did the novitiate together and then he he just shot out he shot ahead into the into the future future in the priesthood he's uh he's one of our, our our special vocations actually the first time um i met father kevin i needed a translator not just for the fact that we were in spain but because of the uh the oldham accent so there's a uh, there is a subtitle option on YouTube. If you'd like to put the subtitles in English, you can, if it helps <laughs> some <laughs> points with the accent, but uh, no, like you can, you can basically kick it off. You can, you can start basically saying where you're from, explain the accent and then uh, right. get into your story. Well, hopefully they'll be able to understand me. I'll try and speak <laughs> clearly enough. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm father Kevin Deakin as father Luke was saying from Manchester, actually from Oldham, I, I usually say Manchester because many people, well, if they don't know around that part of the world, they're not going to really know Oldham. Um, I'm of a family of six, me, my the two parents, my mother and my father, and four children. And um, I come from, a, like, a sporting family. 
my father, uh, he ended up being a professional rugby league coach. Rugby league is a, a big game around that part of the world in the northwest of England. And uh, Could he coach? He coached, he's coached a few teams, actually. Yeah. Just in case, because I know people are going to like recognize the teams if you said it. Like. Well, I would say one of the biggest teams that was that he caught coach when Sheffield Eagles got to the uh, Challenge Cup final against Wigan Warriors. That was about twenty years ago now, so it's it's, it's a good while ago, and they won. And he's also coached abroad as well. He 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 was coaching the Catalan Dragons, who are now now in the Super League, uh, the biggest team there in France. Uh, he helped them to get to that level, and uh, so he's coached a, a number of teams. Even coached Oldham, Oldham Burrs, which is the the local rugby league team. So he, he's coached, he's he's done a few few teams, and uh, so I'll just you know speak. Do you want me to yeah, just get no, on with speaking about no, the, the like family from the beginning or whatever? It's interesting if your dad's a professional rugby coach. You know, that's kind of like I think a big part. And your mom as well. Was she into her faith? You didn't say your dad was into his faith, did, did you? Was no, he into his faith? I, well, I'm a Catholic family. My father, he's, he was the Catholic. Okay, uh, so my, my mother, she wasn't Catholic when she married my father. She did say that she would become a Catholic straight from the beginning, but she felt like she was going to be forced into it. You know, just She didn't want to just be forced into it and become a Catholic just for becoming a Catholic. She did say she would do it one time in, uh, when, it, when she felt she was going to be you know, doing it like with a heart of her own will uh she did do she ended up becoming a catholic about 20 years after being married actually providentially it was around the same time when i was having my own um conversion experience as well and uh now she's a she's a, a full-fledged catholic practicing uh, with a lot of devotion so that's a big grace but let's say like you growing up as far as like what like I don't know mass and like was that a big thing in your family or like what was the it was really uh, uh well the uh my dad was the catholic side of the family and his mother she was like the saint of the family yeah and she's the one who, who kind of pulled us all together and and she was the one like the, the field marshal who was kind of sending us off to church and through her that we became altar boys and we we went through the whole education system in Catholic schools. Yeah, so the seeds definitely in there, but like as far as schools goes, because you mentioned, I remember um, before in your story, like when you told it, just told it at Christmas, so it's a bit fresh. But um, you guys moved to France at some point. How old were you when you yeah. moved to France? I mean, that was a big turning point. Yeah, in in my life, you could say when I was around, I think it was fourteen year old about then. My dad, he he was at that time just beforehand. He was. A development rugby league officer his his job was going into schools uh, in, in colleges uh, to develop rugby league in a certain area of England it was in Yorkshire and uh, that was his job to develop rugby in the in the community and but he always wanted to you know he, he was a coach that's how he had identified himself and he came by there was a, a, a job offer to be a, a coach to coach a French team in the south of France and the court does a can. And so he took the job and we went living over there. I was 14 year old at the time. I was just kind of, you know, making my friends and uh, in, in England. And it was a big step for me because I didn't really want to go. Uh, I was 
I didn't know any French. I mean, we studied France in school, about uh, French in school, but uh, it never interested me. So we were going over there and we had to go to French school. So it was a big culture shock and uh, it was hard. Uh, I didn't like it at all, really. I was kind of missed my friends back home and um actually in the french school i was where i was um there was an incident once in in the class with my my, my best mate he he thought it was funny to have he had his uh his lighter with him one day and he was just kind of messing around with the paper taking it as far as he could with it before setting it on fire and uh all of a sudden it just burst into flames and so, like the the classroom, the smoke of the of the fire went around the classroom, and and the teacher got wind of it, and she she called him out, and so we went out and then put the blame on me, <laughs> and me not being able to speak French, uh, I couldn't defend myself. I was just kind of, uh, you know, stuck without any words. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he he took the blame on me, and we both ended up being suspended, and so my dad said, right. He knew of my intentions to want to go on to further study, um, to do my GCSEs, which is like the 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 exams you do just before doing the the two years prior to university, which are very important in England. So he decided to send me back to England while they stayed on there in France. And probably because of that is when I, I w- went back to England then and I was staying with my grandparents and my, m- my dad's parents. And I had that liberty what I didn't have under the, the, the vigilant eye of my dad who's, who kept a, a disciplined ship in the house, let's say. If we knew what was right and what was, what was wrong. And if we, if, we, if we went off pathways, we, we knew about it. So that would kind of hold you back from doing stuff like the fact yeah. that dad was there. And how old yeah. were you, like 15 with your grandparents? Well, when I went back back to England, I was 15-year-old, yeah. And so, I mean, it was just that age when you like wanted to discover the world. And Did you meet up with your old friends? Oh, yeah, I went back to the same high school where I was before. So I fell back into the, sa- to the same clique of friends. And they had al- already started, you know, being back home, going to parties, you know, starting to drink, smoking weed. Uh, and things of such sort, and so I just kind of got mis got misled. It was just just going on with that way of life that they were living, and uh, I just went happily along with it. The first time you tried it, let's say like this, you smoked weed. Was it like uncomfortable for you? Like, like the, it's kind of like a big step, isn't it? Or is it just kind of like everybody's doing it? It's like, yeah, I think I, to be honest, yeah, um, I can't really remember. <laughs> the the exact moment when it was I can remember I can remember like the, the more or less the times the first times we were doing it and yeah and the rush you know something that you're not supposed to be doing and you just you're just doing it because everyone else is doing it it's kind of a bit of an adventure yeah and and that was that was that was the motivation behind it all yeah and so you know being away from my father's like mm, discipline. Uh, I I abused I abused the liberty in which I was in, and I just started you know going out, and that was like my first steps in in worldliness, you could say, and uh, I suppose that just carried on all the way up until I did get to university. That was the reason why I was sent home, so I could I could go on uh, and do my further studies and, and get to the university. But your grandparents were fine with you coming home. Let's say like you know you could walk walk through the door basically stoned or like drunk and like 
they're basic there wasn't word wasn't getting back to the old man like that you were in. it it did actually get back yeah and uh <laughs> i did well in the summertime i had to go back to france you know to spend the summer with my parents and uh i was a bit in the doghouse at the time you know that's an expression that would be i've been in trouble uh because i'd um i'd been i'd been you call it pegging off school you know playing truancy um and um actually yeah, I'd, I'd, did, I'd got home late one time and i was i was blind stinking drunk i was only 16 so uh yeah my grandma did tell me dad and and uh so i had to go back to the back to france that summer and i was put through my paces i had to i was working all summer because my dad was constructing a house over there and that was kind of like the uh the chastisement the the punishment just working all every day over there on, on the house that w- they were building um but then when we went back then i mean my father who who'd been we've been brought up up in the in the in the drinking culture you know in the rugby league, in the rugby circuit and what have you so it wasn't anything new you know like around 16 you might just start you know drinking yeah so i mean that it was it was fine by that um and so in the in the circle of rugby in which i was living we would just go out was you were you playing as well were you playing rugby yeah at the time yeah okay so would your your buddies would be like the same would they be on the team or something or is it like is it separated like your your friends in the rugby circle like your friends were were on the team as well or like oh yeah yeah as a team we would just go go out at weekend and and live it up you know and then play the game uh, on sunday morning and then go out as well and spend the rest of the day out on the drink um so i mean that was that was my life up until being going to university there was actually a a, a moment when i was i think i was 17 year old and there was a guy who was on the team i was playing with he was one year older than, than myself and he decided to enter into the seminary. I can remember it had a big, it made a real big impression upon me. I really respected him for it, and I just thought, well, that's great for you, but that's not for me. No, I'd already I already had my my plans in life, which would go to university, get a good job afterwards, meet 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 a wife and form a family and have kids and what have you, and just live the everyday run-of-the-mill life, you know, like everybody else. And so the way that he decided to do that, it was something just against every everything that i'd known and he came back after a year being in the seminary and i can remember like he was telling us we were out on having a drink and what have you and he was telling us the stories of like seminary life and living in chastity living without you know going out and living the disciplined life life of prayer you know giving over to god and what have you and i just couldn't kind of get it into my head it's just foreign like those those concepts really don't yeah it was really weird for me yeah. you know i'm when i was catholic i wasn't practicing at the time i would say like from from like 16 you up to 16 year old I was made to go to church and then from that time onwards so there was i mean the decision was left to me and like at that at that level then we didn't never used to go so i mean um just to, to to believe in that i couldn't i couldn't get it into my head how, how anybody could be living that kind of disciplined life um but anyway my life continued and i i carried on with what my dream was which was to go to university etc and everything else that would come after that uh i did go to university in nottingham trent to study biomedical sciences and uh, that was a three-year degree 
And to be honest, uh, I wasn't the best of students. It was a miracle of grace that I didn't get thrown off the course, to be honest. Pathetic grades, you know. My, I mean, my focus in life was just, it was just totally hedonistic and, you know, just gone into the old university. Hedonistic meaning, like, basically just pleasures, like, basically yeah, where we're... Yeah, exactly. And then get by. Like, if you have to get the grades, you get them just to get by, but not really. Exactly. So you didn't have drive to, like, study biomedic. No, even while I was studying, I was just thinking, what, 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 what am I doing this for? I, can't, I couldn't even see myself, you know, working in a laboratory and uh, staying all, all day in a laboratory and what have you. But, I, I mean, I think it was the grace of God uh, just to keep me there because if I wasn't there, I would have been back home and uh, earning a bit of money, working and what have you, and that would have been my biggest downfall because if I had money in my pocket, I would have blown it, you know, on 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 partying and like my other friends and i've probably gone even more off track so i coming towards the end of my university career i fell into a deep depression a suicidal depression i can remember like for like three months and i even finished my degree in, in, in that state and then uh for like for three months i was in a in a deep suicidal depression I didn't know for the life of me why I was in that depression. Uh, like, as I could see, I was just like a, a normal, regular guy like everybody else and, and doing what everyone else was doing. So why was why was I like that? And I just couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't communicate myself as well. Just like my character was just kind of like bottle everything up within me. The, uh, the housemates who I was living with, they didn't even realize what I was going through. And I was just going through you know, the motions of going out and trying to be happy and thinking that was the life and what have you. And I mean, it was just, it was just, my life was just meaningless, you know. didn't have any, any meaning to me. I was empty inside. And so for like three months, I was insomniac and, and, the, and the thoughts of suicide was constantly on my mind. Like, like it was three 24/7. months, you were insomniac. You're saying you weren't sleeping for three months. Yeah, it was around that time, yeah. Like not sleeping on, just like sleeping on and off. Yeah, I just couldn't get to sleep. My head was just like a, a, a bulb switched on off. all the time, yeah. But it doesn't really, if there's someone listening, like, you know, like just trying to think through it, like you basically, all right, you got into the party scene, whatever, basically everybody was doing it. Uh, your dad and mom were pretty well off. They were together. Like you didn't have any like rupture there as far as like father wound or anything in there. You did your degree, sounds pretty good as well, you know, like on paper. But like, so where would this be coming from? Like this, this crazy, you know, suicidal thought, depression. Like, how do you explain I that? I couldn't explain it at the time, but obviously, in retrospect, looking back, the question. I mean, the the answer is um, mortal sin. I was I was in a state of mortal sin. I wasn't living in grace. So. So the fact that you were in a state of like mortal sin, like I guess. Uh, doing what you knew was wrong i guess was that because like, you knew it was wrong when you were in i mean i like i did say beforehand that we we knew the difference between right and wrong but uh we weren't a, a family so like it's kind of i mean we just like the traditional go to mass on sunday i mean we wasn't a really enthusiastic family in the faith so i mean i had the edu education from from the, my religious education in school which wasn't the best I was one of the most ignorant. Would you, you know, have gone to a confession? Would you have made a confession like since you'd say like you, I don't know, like you, you went through high school and college? Would you have gone to a confession at any point? No, no, so no. So you're talking maybe like 10, 
15 oh, years. Yeah, well, around that time of just being 21, it would have been, I would say around seven years, eight so years since my last confession. Caked on with with sin and just like, I mean, everything exterior there seems like it was all right. Like you seemed like you were chirpy good guy yeah. like, and then all of a sudden yeah. on the inside <laughs> on the inside it's just caking up and like layering up layering exactly, up exactly exactly and that's what and was pushing you to like and i knew i knew deep down inside that it just wasn't for me and i was just letting myself being uh taken away by the tidal wave of worldliness with which i was surrounded and i just wanted to fit in you know so i wasn't being myself neither so there's that kind of i knew that i knew i really didn't want to be doing all that but i was letting myself you know being dragged along by it all because i didn't know another way so there was a lot of that internal conflict and and it's just led me to that suicidal depression which i found myself in so i mean being in that state i I had to get out of it i couldn't carry on like that i did consider obviously committing suicide the reason why i didn't because a few years earlier i had heard of another suicide of a person who i knew and i can remember i can remember being in conversation or being present with a conversation with my uncle and a, and a friend of his and they were commenting it and and the other the other guy was saying cowardice it's cowardice you know it's the coward's way out that struck a chord with me and they also knew that committing suicide obviously was was a major sin and i didn't and i didn't want to present myself before god you know with that sin behind me so kind of that kind of closed the door on 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 taking that way out I even considered, you know, just going out on the streets and living on the streets. I just couldn't take it anymore. When I went to the doctor to uh, to ask for help, you know, you know the doctor, and uh, she said she prescribed for me, you know, the uh, antidepressants. I can remember having the prescription in my hand and thinking, well, I don't want to... Is that Prozac? I can't remember what it was called. It could have been Prozac, yeah. And... Um, I just said I don't want a chemical solution, so I just kind of screwed it up and threw it in the bin. And I decided to go like clandestinely to to church. I was a a cradle Catholic, but I was living like with my housemates in the university. Not one of them was a Catholic, and uh, and I was just kind of uh, they say closet Catholic, and you know just being ashamed and not ashamed of, of being open about being catholic and and practicing my faith so i started going to church uh, anonymously in a clandestine way and um it really did help i felt pushed interiorly to go and confess myself i can remember going into the into the confessional and uh, just kneeling there it'd been years since my last confession and uh, i'd forgotten how to confess myself and i was just mute i couldn't i couldn't say anything i didn't really know what to say and so the priest, after a few minutes, just said, um, "Have you killed anybody?" And uh, I mean, I killed—I was killing myself, you know, with the with the way of life I was living. But uh, I said no. So he said, "Well, just go out, write what it is you want, make a list, and then come back later on." So I left, lying in the humiliated a little bit. But I really felt that God, you know, it was kind of—it's like a cry out to God, you know, just help me to get to get me to get me out of this situation I was in. And in that very church, I came by as well the pamphlet of the Divine Mercy. And, you know, the story of St. Saint Faustina Kowalska in last century received those revelations from Jesus about his Divine Mercy and how he wanted her to spread 
the devotion of the divine mercy is throughout the world. Like in the back of the church, kind of like just sitting Yeah, there. you know, as you find in many churches. Just, just yeah. picked it up. And I like just picked it up and read it. And I was really touched by the promises our Lord gave to those who would recite the chapel of divine mercy and those who, you know, the promises our Lord gives, it gave a lot of hope and consolation to me in that time, which I needed. So I started to pray it. And uh, I mean, I took it home with me. And my life carried on the same, you know, going out with my friends on one hand and and like calling out to God for help on the other. I mean, it was just a hypocrite, you know, was, God help me so I can live my world alive. That was my kind of uh, attitude. I mean, you were being crushed, but like at the same time, you couldn't get it. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming like after like years of all this, this kind of life, so you can't just stop it in a heartbeat like it's. It gets in, like kind of rooted in there. There's, you know, yeah. you, you want to stop sinning, but you can't, and it's killing you. Exactly. And then you're just like, so it's kind of like a, there's an, I think, yeah, a struggle there. But anyway, sorry, go. I just because so I, no, so all the rest of the friends who I'm with, uh, they they're still living it. They haven't got a clue what I'm going through, and so they're just carrying on with a normal life, and I'm, and just, I'm just living it with them as well. But with all that inside. Anyway, like a few, I don't know, some time passed by and one day I was just kind of drawn to pick up that pamphlet once again and start reading it. And um, I received, like, I think one of the biggest graces in my life um, was the grace of conversion, you could say. I was I was reading it and this time the words of Jesus just penetrated to the, to the, to the bottom you know, really like it was like a knife uh, in my heart because the words that really struck a chord within me were the, the words of, of Jesus who said to St. Faustina, those souls that caused me the most repulsion, and that the word repulsion is what kind of uh, affected me most, the souls that caused me most repulsion in the Garden of Gethsemane were the lukewarm and indifferent souls and the only... Uh, the only way of salvation for them is that if they throw themselves upon my infinite divine mercy. And I and I, I was just struck by the word repulsion and I was thinking, that's me speaking directly to me. You know, I'm being repulsive to God uh, because that was my life. How, how indifferent could you be? You know, I really deep down, I knew that I was living a really worldly life which wasn't like in conformity with God's will. And we're still pursuing that way of life, but and on the other hand, uh, you know, asking God to help me out, get me out of that, so I can carry on living that like that. How does that like just like crush you completely though? Like if you're going, you can't even go to bed at night. You're insomniac. You know, like you got suicidal thoughts. Life is basically, it's not going so well. And then all of a sudden, like a grace you say you receive is you find yourself repulsive to God. So it's like, <laughs> well, that was the start, wasn't it? Just like that crush you, like you know, and then. If you're not even God, like you know, you're not even appealing to Him, no? Is that? Yeah, well, that, that that's that was that was kind of you know, it was leading me to desperate, like to desperation. That I was thinking, uh, what's the point in living now? I'm I'm even repulsive <laughs> to God, <laughs> and that thought just passed through my mind. And as it was passing through my mind, I felt uh, like really sad because I was kind of being repulsive to God and offending Him so much. That's called contrition, you know. Uh, being sorry for your sins it's uh it's it's necessary for conversion so that was like when the light bulb switched on you know you just got to wake up from from that kind of life of sin and uh when i did feel that kind of contrition that sense of sadness for being so offensive to god 
there's like a song that started up to well up with him to sing out within me it's kind of like a uh i don't know how it's it's wrote in the testimony book as being like a uh you know it's just it's just like a song that i hadn't heard for years since my childhood and would would say like when i was 10 year old and probably the last time like was i'd heard it and just the cor the chorus of the song is, is very simple it's just the words repeated my god loves me um and that just wouldn't stop ringing out within me and uh oh, it gave me such consolation and uh that's that was like the springboard for my for my conversion you know having that encounter with god's love personal love for me uh kind of just it just changed my life totally from that moment my life was different so like instead of okay so just to get it completely i don't know it's clear to maybe um instead of like that repulsion kind of like exiling you banning you it it made you kind of look into yourself and say to yourself like cop on like it's enough mm -hmm. is enough and so something like that you know that you had to have like that maybe like interior movement to say like i'm going i want to stop being repulsive to him and like go towards him and that's where you experienced his that exactly, he was yeah i mean i mean it was that that god's message of his personal love for me yeah inside me that gave me that push to well no i'm loved by him despite the the worldliness and the sinful life i'm living and so i mean that was kind of just the push to, to come to that decision right i'm with it I, i'm through with all that yeah worldly living now uh, i'm gonna start practicing my faith being open about it and not running scared and and being like uh, embarrassed about it and and that was that was the moment yeah i, I just going. put it just in case someone would be listening, they'd be thinking like they would have a wrong image of God. Maybe just they would have something and, and the devil can kind of get in there and, and just so despair. You know how he's always saying that you are, you're oh, worthless. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, how can he love you now for all you've done? Like how many chances he's given you and you've just blown them all. And that usually drives them into despair and darkness. And then they, they usually end it. Like it's, it's something that we've been seeing. Like, but uh, just to give that image of him that <coughs> in spite of it, it's almost something that that even calls you more closer to him because he sees so much misery, you know. Exactly. And when that I, kind I of give exercises thanks. his mercy. Yeah, I give thanks though for the for my education, the Catholic for being brought up with it. I mean, I had the bare essentials, uh, and I had the faith. I mean, it was buried in underneath all of that, and uh, I mean that one thing that well, I haven't said though. Even though I was living such a worldly life, one thing I did, and I wasn't going to church, you know, and I wasn't living life of grace in the sacraments there's one thing that i did hold on to that i never ever let go and that was to pray every night before i went to bed and uh, i mean i can even remember the stories of our lady of fatima that used to tell us when i was was in school and how she she would encourage like the rosary and uh, i always had the desire to pray the rosary you know to be pleasing to our lady and i made the, de the decision from like being seven year old that would pray at least a, a decade of the rosary every night before before going to bed and I, and I was I, I was faithful to that even through all that time of being away from God and I used to say well it, it, if the time comes when I'm like in desperate need if I'm faithful to this our lady will get me out of the rut and, and she did wow. so I mean that I think that is an important thing yeah so you have your turnaround it hits you like which is I think it's good to say there's a divine mercy um, the divine mercy devotion 
that our yeah. Lord's mercy is just, I think I've heard it said that it's like all, like all these sins you can even think of and you can pile them up and there's so many, so many, so many, it's like a drop of water into the sun, right? If you compare it to his mercy, if you just kind of like get close to him, just for people to listen to that, I think they need to listen to that over and over again. Like the, the heavier the weight, the more the sin, the more the despair, the more darkness in their life. And in a way he's pulled towards that because for him, it's really, it's, it's nothing like if you just, if you go to his mercy and then it just, he forgets it, it's just gone. And then you can start. So you had a restart, like your life. Of course. Yeah. That was it. An unconditional love. Yeah. I was, I was a disgrace. And so what was but the God next step? Loved me. <laughs> what was your next? Uh, and so when I did, I'd made that decision to come to like, to start practicing my faith and be open about it and, 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 and you join seminary so well well i went to the cathedral and i, and I sat there and I, and I said right because at that time just shortly afterwards uh, i was reading my first spiritual book which was the um the story of the soul centuries of Lisieux, and reading that um i came the, the thoughts of of being a priest came to mind and that mm, gave me a lot of consolation as well and so i i went to look for a priest um and that's what I did. And just to cut the story, sh the story short, there, like three months down the line afterwards, something like that, I was before a panel of ten priests with the Bishop of Nottingham, because that's where I was studying the university, and, and I was still living, and a nun. So I was being interviewed to be a, a candidate for for the diocesan priesthood of Nottingham, and they accepted me, and so that was the path I was going down but I felt shortly afterwards I got a bit cold feet not that I was rejecting the, the vocation to the priesthood but um, I felt I was just rushing into it you know I'd, I'd come from all those years of just you not know, living that world of life and I'd never really lived my faith you know as a personal faith before I didn't really know how to live I was still learning how to live it still learning how, how to pray and, and live sacramental life and if i was going to be attending to the lay people as a parish priest in the future it would be you know be a good idea to learn how to uh, live your faith as a lay person so i kind of just kind of stepped took my foot off the accelerator and thought well i'm going to take a bit of time and so i did do i mean my conversion was in the back of september 98 and um I was working at another th another important thing is on the back of that you know that fervor of conversion I was also I got you know with spiritual reading and the people uh, I was getting to know of to know of the Medjugorje fasting and and the penance and that side of the of the faith and that must I have been really appealing or was it like it really was because reparation and yeah I was I mean God give me such a, a desire for him, a thirst for him, and, and that's in the spiritual life. Um, I just wanted to make reparation, yeah. So uh, I started fasting. And uh, I was working at that time just to pay the bills as a postman, which is a very active job when you do a lot of walking, miles every day with, with a heavy load. So you, you burn up a lot of energy. And so doing the, the Medjugorje fast of, Wednesday and Friday, which I did all in all, uh, about a year and a half, going on a bit over than over that, and doing that obviously, the appetite starts decreasing and the you start eating less and less in in the other days, so I ended up, 
I ended up just like a, a beanpole, you know. Then one day the uh, I, I was in such a bad state. Mm, they sent me home because I, I I was in no fit state to be working. But um, in the meantime, uh, whilst all that was going on, I was still you know I was living that with that uh, hard penance uh, penitential life uh, and and prayer life, what have you. I did come by the founding father of our community, the home of the mother, was in the year 2000, Father Raphael and Father Felix, and it was then Brother Colum Power uh, came out to England to do a tour around England to give testimony on the home of the mother, and so I got to know of the home of the mother. I met Father Raphael, and I, it impacted me so much, that meeting with Father Raphael uh, and the home of the mother. Um, I really did, in that encounter, sense the presence of Our Lady in such a powerful way. And uh, I fell in love with the home of the mother. And so I felt called to become a member. Um, Father Raphael, he, he, he played the vocation in such a way that I, it just attracted me so much. Uh, I said, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. What do you mean he played the vocation? Well, he, he just he just spoke frankly and, st and straight to me. He just said, look, what I can offer you is uh, poverty with Christ, poor chastity with Christ, chaste and obedience with Christ, obedience and the cross. And I was just listening like that with uh, eyes wide and never heard of anyone speaking with such clarity. And, and it was so impacting. And I said, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> And um, so, on the basis of that of that meeting with the, with Father Raphael and the home of the mother, I decided to go out to the in that Easter of the year two thousand to spend a week there. You know, just to as a first encounter to know the community firsthand out there in Spain, and um, I did do. And um, there was that possibility then to I had to go back to England to clear up you know things with my job and tie up tie up ends back home in england but when i got back to england i carried on with my penitential life and things got worse got out of control and um, i ended up you know losing so much weight and uh, being affected so much by it i ended up in in hospital uh, all in all uh, i was in hospital for about a month wow yeah they said you were like an auschwitz victim yeah, a bit like Maximilian Kolbe in uh, in his physique, in his sanctity and love, but <laughs> in his physique, yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. That's the devil getting in there, isn't it? Once again, like you just oh, get yeah. into your head. And you're doing something good, you're doing something holy, but it's going to drive you. Like he'd rather have you like basically fast yourself to death and make it yeah. to the priesthood, right? Like, yeah, you think you're doing the right thing, but that just goes. If there's an audience out there that doesn't have a spiritual director, that would go for them, wouldn't it? Because you obviously weren't consulting with anybody. Your spiritual director would say, "No, look, Monday." Or if you'd seen your personality and you seen like you're a bit scrupulous, he probably wouldn't have let you fast at all. He probably exactly. would have made you eat more, you know, like just to go the opposite. Like, but uh, not just if anybody was there, like you know, with this idea in their head, um, you know, especially. Mm. Or maybe it's even like an, an idea of Pelagianism, like you know, like they're gonna fast, they're gonna do all these sacrifices, and they're gonna yeah. become like yeah, a saintly person, you know, without really consulting or like asking really people advice. He had a field day with me, yeah, and I, uh, I even end up thinking that eating was was being sinful for me. So, uh, yeah, the 
so I ended up going to hospital. Yeah, my obviously parents weren't, weren't my parents weren't at all happy about the situation, and it was a hard deal for them and the whole family. And I, um, let's go to your Chinacolo stage because there's a Chinacolo stage that's an important chapter there. Yeah, just to get to like um to make the next we'll step on. Yeah, we'll go from the right. Well, after having passed through the hospital, I was I had like a year of convalescence coming out of hospital. And um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't lazy, you know. I still, I still had the f- the fire of faith within me, and uh, I, just, I just wanted to be, I didn't want to be lazy, and uh, and so I started doing voluntary work. I got involved with the Legion of Mary, and I came by like a hostel for homeless men, run by the Legion of Mary in Manchester, Morningstar Hostel. And uh, after a year of being convalescing, I went to work in in that hostel for homeless men. And being there, obviously there's many drug addicts and alcoholics. I ended up helping up helping out a guy, a heroin addict, to enter the community Shinaklo, which which had a major impact on on my life as it has on the lives of many um, drug addicts and, and, and other people and, and families, entire families who who have come into contact with the community Shinaklo. How long were you there, Shinaklo? Um, well, I entered. Uh, I, I I helped this guy to enter, and I just went in at first for like a six month experience. I, I took him. I took the, the guy over. I accompanied him to Italy, the mother house in Saluzzo, and uh, I stayed a few days there. And um, I asked if I could enter and do an experience. And they, I entered to do six month experience at first, but um, crossing by Sister Elvira one day. Uh, she she was the foundress of the of the community Shinaclo. She she just took one look at me and said, "Never met her before." She said, "Don't stay less than one year." Wow. Yeah, I hadn't told her how long I was thinking of staying, and she just said, "Don't stay less than one year." So I I uh, I decided to stay on for at least a year, and I asked to go to Lourdes in France, and so they they had no problem. They sent me over to Lourdes, and I was there in Lourdes for a year and a half. Uh, uh, and in that time, I'd, I'd spoken again to Elvira, um, Maria Elvira, and she. I told her of my of my deep down call to the vocation to the priesthood, and that she'd never left me. And uh, she she left the door open for me to be able to enter the to the in the community Shinaclo as a like a religious consecrated there, with the prospect of being a priest with them. And when I went back to Italy and they put me in the, the community which is directly related to the consecrated of that community there. And so I was in contact with them. I was there one year, but um, I always felt that inner core within me that the home of the mother was for me. So I knew that if I, had, if I didn't leave, at least to go and see, I would never be in peace. So uh, after a year there, in, in Italy again, I decided that I'm just going to go and uh, I'm going to see if the home of the mother is for me. But while I was in 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 France, at in the community there, I'd come by the uh, name of the Walk of Saint James. You know the the pilgrimage of Saint James. The Camino. Yeah, the Camino, and it, that just fascinated me. So having left the community Shinaclo, I made the decision to make the walk of the Camino, the way of Saint James. Uh, and which I wanted to do on on Providence as well. I mean, the community life in Shinaclo has lived on Providence, but I, I wanted to experience it in a more personal, direct way. Uh, 
and so I decided to 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 start the walk in France, and I think it's about eight hundred and fifty kilometers from <laughs> from France, Saint Jean Pied de Port, yeah, all the way to Santiago. I started with a bit of money in my pocket, but I mean it was little. It lasted just over a week, and uh, from then on in, I had nothing, and uh, just to kind of throw myself into the hands of providence, and I also was praying that God would enlighten me and confirm me in my own vocation do say that those who go on the way, way of St. James receive that great, the grace that they do ask for so I was asking St. James for that and it, the Lord did show me all the way all the way along um, in various various steps along the way in a real concrete way the Lord showed me that the home of the mother is for me I mean on the way of St. James I, I set off in September and even in that time there's hundreds of pilgrims doing the walk at that time of the year and just by providence i came by an irish lad who just spent three months in the home of the mother in the in the house of formation in burgos in the north of spain doing a an experience with them and so that just kind of directed my, my thoughts and uh, and and kindling the desire to go to the home of the mother again speaking with this guy and so i mean i carried on my walk uh and further on the line as well um I was in a bar one morning uh, having breakfast and uh, obviously I couldn't speak Spanish but in this bar the television came on and, and they started going through this different channels and all of a sudden Father Raphael came out <laughs> our founding father the home and mother on the, on, the, on the television set with uh, three servant sisters obviously speaking in Spanish I didn't understand it but I mean it was just kind of set my mind off again thinking about the home of the mother wow uh, and so, I mean, I made that decision. I even wrote it in my diary that night. That I've got to go and see the home of the mother at the end of the walk of St. James. I got to St. James, and then they told me that there's another walk that you can go on to. You can just go to the coast. It's called Land's End, Finnish Turvey. So I did that walk. It was about another 100 kilometers. <laughs> and then I did that, and then I came I, uh, I came back on bus to St. James, and the, I heard, I got wind, that there's another walk that you can do, that you, can, you just walk down from St. James to Fatima. So um, that's not just walking down. How many kilometers is that? Like, that's another two weeks. Well, it <laughs> <laughs> just went just stroll yeah. down to Fatima. Uh, I, I loved it. I mean, and the idea really did captivate me, really. And and they sold it to me because I mean, all the way along the way of St James, they do have the network of um, of inns for the for the pil- pil- for pilgrims, and I was staying there, and I was being provided for there by other pilgrims who were always like making friends with and, and what have you. And but on the way to to Fatima, they don't have that same network. But I got wind that in the in the fire stations they accept the uh, the pilgrims. So on that basis, I thought I'd always have somewhere to sleep and what have you. So I went down, and that was really another experience because on the way of Saint James, I was surrounded by other pilgrims, and they would help me out, and I would get into the inns uh, where where the where I could get food and what have you. Uh, but uh, on the way of s- down to Fatima, I was alone, and there wasn't that system of 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 inns to, to support the pilgrims. So uh, I had to beg. I really was begging, going door to door into different bars, asking for help. Well, I mean, it was a good a good experience. So it you got to hard. you got to Fatima, so and then from Fatima. Fatima, the idea is I'm going up north to visit the mother house, home of the mother. 
We got to Fatima, and uh, actually, I was on the last day walking into Fatima. I got shin splints. Incredible, all the way those months of, of walking. Uh, I didn't have any problems. Apart, yeah, one time when I got blisters on my feet, which which slowed me down a bit. But and that last day walking into, Fatima, I got shin splints, and I was I was shattered really. So I'd got to Fatima and I'm being so tired, uh, I kind of just thought, well, the chance of going visiting the home of the mother in the north of Spain has just passed me by. I just guess I'll, I'll ring my brother up and uh, ask him to send me through some money. I'll, I'll just get a job back home in England, you know, and, wow. and set up my life there. And uh, I mean, an important thing was in that discernment on the way of St. James as well. It, it was one, my idea was. I did feel, feel a call up to, to the priesthood, but being in the Schnackle as well, it also opened up the way to thinking about family life again. I can remember them saying, them telling me, oh, you're not, you shouldn't be a priest, you sh- you're made for, 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 to get a woman and a family and what have you. And so, I mean, that just sparked off that idea. And I was thinking, I don't really want to be choosing the vocation for me. I want solid confirmation. And so I can remember, and I've told you, told you the Lord was helping me out uh, in different ways to, to direct me to the home of the mother along the way. But also the devil was working as well. And there were, I did, I did get to know a few girls as well along on the, on the way of St. James. And that we did make friendships. So thanks be to God, nothing more developed other than that. And uh, But there was that possibility. So I mean, got down to Fatima and, and I thought the, it passed me by the chance of, of going to the home of the mother, I want to get home, start a job, you know, and, and perhaps get married and, and what have you. But on the last night, I decided to go to the Basilica in Fatima just to say, like, goodbye to Our Lady. And whilst I was in the Basilica and that last night, um, I just felt deep inside me with, with a clarity that Our Lady was was saying to me, uh, go, go and see the home of the mother. Don't go home, go and see the home of the mother. And, um, you know, I felt it with conviction that was what Our Lady was asking of me. So I, I can remember saying, I was sick of walking, to be honest, and I didn't want to walk anymore. And I said to her, all right, then, Mother, uh, if you if you want me to get the, if you want me to get to go there, you've got to get me there because I'm not walking and I've got no money. So the ball's in your court. I'll leave it with you. And uh, so I went back to the hostel poor pilgrims that night i didn't have to pay a penny and uh there was only a few of us there i think there was just one of a other polish guy at the time and there was i was i got speaking with him i don't speak polish he don't speak english you can imagine the conversation he spoke a bit of french and so like i spoke some french and we, we communicate that way and by by symbols drawings and what have you and he said to me i told him my plans i'm gonna i'm just gonna head off home and he said to me Come to Paris with me and my friend tomorrow. We're going in the car. And I thought, wow, our lady, she's working straight away. This is my ticket to get to the north of Spain without having to walk. And so I said to him, yeah, all right, then I'll come with you. But I'm not going to Paris. I'm going to get out in the north of Spain. And so that's what happened. They gave me the car keys the next day and I drove up in the car. Death trap of a car it was uh, to the north of Spain. And um, I got out in the north of Spain. Um, I had a friend who was, he was living in Garabandal at the time, which is not very far from like the mother house of the home, in the home of the mother. 
and I, my idea was to make that contact with him and from the then go to the home of the mother and so got up there met my mate and just as it had it he he decided to help me to go directly to the home of the mother so uh, he took me to the to Barsini where the house is and that was in the year 2000 November 2006 I can remember just knocking on the door and it was in the evening there in in the house in Barsinia and Father Dominic an Irish priest one of Irish priests who actually when I was there in the year 2000 he was there discerning his vocation with the home of the mother and I knew him then and he hop- he opened the door uh, to receive me and and I and I can I can just remember the feeling of peace and tranquility as I walked through the door and just that feeling of coming home and so that was an immense grace and I really do I did feel like I'd come home you know and so that was the, the long journey this was 2000 and you said in 2000 November 2006 all right so you're I hope people have gotten the idea by the way this is all written in a book um, for you the confusion sorry for you the glory for me the confusion Um, it's a book of our testimonies Um, I don't even know if there's a way to put that in the link in the description but if there is we'll drop it in there just so people can get more of a an idea because your story is is really like full of other stories it really is especially like the camino chinacolo like what you've lived in chinacolo just in conversation like they're really edifying and like original stories and then obviously the camino and then your priesthood like and your religious life you said 2006 this mm-hmm. that's eight years after your conversion so you have an eight years there of the devil really trying to get you off of it yeah you get on to it and then you've lived it um for the past we're in 2021, so yeah. the past 13 years. And we are at, we're now in the year of St. Joseph. Just the detail that comes to my mind is when I was working in that hostel for homeless men, the Legion of Mary hostel, I made uh, a prayer of consecration to St. Joseph and trusted him my whole vocational life. It was a 30-day long consecration, and I left it and put it all into his hands. And actually, when I did enter into the home of the mother, just as Providence had it, I was kept waiting for a few months and a few months um, uh, went by before they gave me the date for the entry and it happened to be on the date of St. Joseph. Wow. Yeah, on the 19th of March. So I'll just give a just quick a s- summary just because we have about seven minutes and there's a couple interesting questions here that I've been looking at. Um, just hopefully we can get to them without you know going too far. But um, yeah, so Father Kevin has your priesthood you spent in Ecuador, a third world country, and it was right after, right after the the earthquake, and you actually coincided a bit there with Sister Claire in some poem, in some moments. There's some interesting stories there. Actually, Sister Claire used to imitate Father Kevin. She used to she used to make fun of him back. He actually didn't know it, but then he he discovered it one day, and uh, it came out that it's true after her death that she did. She used to she used to make fun of Father Kevin, <laughs> but um, he was there and in two different communities, um, was kind of spearheading building two churches for the diocese which is also like a you know as far as like a priesthood goes you know like we're religious we're not diocesan but you know in the community where you're at you're looking for funds and you're helping and you're working to build two churches which is a pretty big deal like that's kind of you know like 
Um, and now he's back in Ireland, and you're coming back right. It's not an earthquake, but it's, I'd say, even almost worse. You know, like the mm-hmm. lockdown, COVID, it's just just the restrictions. It's like as far as a priest goes in Ireland, it's very difficult. Um, that comes up like here. One of the questions, maybe we can just go right into it. This is from uh, from Alan. Um, so Alan says, hello, Padre. Uh, what has been the hardest thing being a priest in today's world? By the way, it was a pleasure drying the dishes with you. So this is Alan, Alan McManara that was that was there in Spain over Christmas. So ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he's just basically what's the hardest thing um, in today's he's world heard being the a story priest? As well. uh, the hardest thing being a priest. Well, that's a good question. Uh, you'd have to give me time to think about. All it. right, we'll get another <laughs> one here. Alan, you stumped the Schwab. Um, what advice would you give to a priest who is struggling with his faith and even contemplating abandoning his vocation? That's from Kevin McTeegan. Right. I think the the backbone of all priestly vocations has to be their own personal spiritual life, their own relation with Jesus. Um, uh, a priest is a man of prayer. Uh, a priest without prayer uh, and constancy in that prayer and a good amount of time spent in prayer he easily loses his own identity um we are we are identified with christ we are outer christuses and and, and to be who we are we have to be in tune no uh, with the word of god saturated with the word of god and, and the spirit of christ and and the only means to that is by a strong uh sacramental uh, life, prayer life, Eucharistic adoration, f- frequent confession, and and spiritual direction. You need someone to bounce, you know, off, you know, what's happening within your life, uh, to open yourself up with spiritual direction. As as it became evident in the telling of my own vocation, um, he who guides himself in the spiritual life. Let's himself be guided by a donkey, and I was the biggest donkey around, and I nearly, I nearly took myself t- t- to my own deathbed. I think that was another grace that I didn't, I didn't end up, you know, going all the way. Um, Sacraments and communication. I think that's a yeah. I put in. I think you'd be, you'd agree with this as well. Just to Kevin, um, if you know somebody who's going through that the community as well, to find some kind of community. Uh, we have the huge grace that we're not just out there you know like like sharpshooters you know sniping but we have community we have brotherhood we have family that we we go we're always around and then i would recommend encino jesu i've been saying that uh, book yeah, to like really good all book. priests should be reading encino jesu and it hits yeah, on what you way. said like you know adoration uh, sacramental life and it, and it re- you return to the the heart of what the priest is which is the love of the heart of christ and it's just like it's an amazing book so i'd say encino jesu kevin definitely get that if you can to struggling priests um uh, we figure out how to pronounce that name we got a name here that we'd love to pronounce and i'm not gonna go out and let me pronounce it. sometimes you see the irish and it's just embarrassing so i apologize i won't even use your last name because i'm sorry but, um but this is uh, what advice can you give to help us persevere in fighting sin or attachments when constantly being faced with past failure in those exact areas it's hard not to become despondent sometimes. So yeah, I apologize once again for not being able to get the name. Uh, right. 
I suppose it's just learning to love yourself, who you are, your own defects. I think that's what was the big problem beforehand. I mean, I'd received such a massive grace from God uh, and, and his love for me, his unconditional love for me, uh, even in the disgrace I was in. And I was kind of feeling, I have to pay God back, you know. I have to do something for him. And um, I think I was, and I was still falling into sins and, you know, beating myself up about it. And uh, I think humility, you know, you know, just coming to know yourself for who you are. Uh, you just be, you just, I just know myself as being a, a useless kind of guy, you know, of myself. Yeah. I'm not beating myself up by doing that. I'm trying, I'm, I'm accepting myself for who I am. Jesus did say, without me, you can do nothing. And I, and, and I really do know that to be true. And so of myself, I'm just like a miserable guy. But with Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, all upon his mercy, you know. He, and God lets us fall just to let us know who we are and that we're not Superman. And we don't have to beat ourselves up about it, you know. Yeah, that's we a big thing. sorry and, yeah. and we get on with it. The beating yourself up, and I think the devil loves that as well because the yeah. true image of God is is that like he's just waiting for us to to return and i I mean you mentioned as well you mentioned their attachments and and past failure he also works on your memories and what you've done and he always brings your memory back and he pushes it into your face i feel like i've received the gift of the purification of the memory i don't know if you've experienced that where it's like i've i mean i've been down there you know like you go down some dark places and you get some stuff and it's like I, I don't know if it's a religious life or just a life of grace, but I feel like I've had some some purification there. But I don't even remember some stuff. You don't even remember your first joint, you know? Maybe that's a purification. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, like, don't go down memory lane and and dwell there and have. Um, when you say attachments, that's also very important. Like you have to be. Yeah. I think you have to be strong with yourself and cutting with attachments, especially if you know that this attachment is bringing you back there. So you can't expect God to pull you out when at the same time you're too dependent on what really is dragging you down. You have to make some decision, no, like cutting with that. Like that I, has think, to happen. I think a, a walk a spirit in, in, in the spiritual life, uh, to, n- to not walk alone, to have like a spiritual director and to be obedient to what he could ask of you, you know, the sacrifices that he might give you, the penances that he might ask of you, and um, the renouncement of self and to be faithful to that and, and to be obedient. And... Uh, it is a big help to have that helping hand with someone who's accompanying you on the on your own spiritual walk. Sure. So we'll take two more here because um, we're hitting the hour mark, trying to keep it to a clean hour. Just, but this is good. These are good questions. Um, this is Carmen. She says, besides your prayer to our mother during your dark time, what other tool or help would you recommend when you feel that everything around you is not only challenging, but sometimes really oppressive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Your faith, trusting in Jesus, trusting the word of God, you know, uh, he has conquered the world, as he said, um, and, 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 and just build your life on the word of God and not upon fear. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me uh, and so many more. You know, phrases in the Word of God that just give us that uh, strength uh, and hope. Um, I'm reading that actually at the moment. Uh, a prayer. Um, I might have it here. I'm, uh, yeah. It's uh, by a father, Rotwo 
Rotolo Dolindo, an Italian priest, <coughs> who was a saintly man. You can read the whole thing. I'm not going to read it all. <laughs> and he just f- focuses, this is a n- nine-day novena, and the essence of it is is Jesus, you take care of it, just handing it over, trusting in him. Oh, I've done that. That's true. That is very good, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he'll sort it out. And all things work for the good of those who love God. And another scripture passage, all things, and St. Augustine adds, even the sin. So even your sins, your falls, your failings, work uh, for for God's glory in our greater good. Uh, you know, all things work for the good of those for those who love God. Yeah, I think yeah. our title has also sparked in some people. Like this is something I've seen since I've been here. Uh, the whole thing of depression, like in in darkness and despair, it's um it's very oppressive. And there's a story that we heard of a priest in Limerick who was in a funeral. It was his second funeral that week for an, uh, for an adolescent. This was an 18 year old girl. And he said that he was just so um, fed up with these these funeral masses of youth that at the end, you know, when you're going around the coffin and you're incensing it and then you put the holy water on it, he says that he he put his hand on the coffin and he said a prayer under his breath. He said, um, demon of suicide, I command you to leave the young people alone. Mm. Demon of suicide, I, I command you to leave the young people alone. He said it three times and they carried on. They went to the, uh, you know, the grave and they buried the young girl and after that a young another young girl went up to him and asked him what went on there after he'd incensed it and he put his hand on the coffin and he asked her why she said like in that moment she felt like this this heavy like kind of weight just lift off of her that had been there for a while you know like an oppressive weight so there's some kind of you know like there's a demon out there for everything basically but like you know the demon of suicide the demon of depression the demon of desolation um, mm-hmm. i think the title's caught in you know people's attention there's another question there from rebecca she's saying like you know like what do you do when you're feeling this 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 darkness come on this yeah. wave like it's there like it's it exists it's real and uh, i don't think it can be fought without the proper tools of of that what you said the word of god scripture adoration confession like you you were you were on the point of taking your life because of the the weight of oh, mortal yeah. sin yeah yeah definitely. Like maybe people don't like realize that like mortal sin has effects on your soul and it when one's not in a state up. of grace, it's just an open field for the devils and the demons just to play havoc. And that was my soul. And and so the only things that were being whispered in my mind were all just... End it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's keeping you up at night as well. So you do, you, you do really need... And, and the shame is that there's not such a, a, a kind of Catholic culture amongst the youth. I, I really do thank God for having been brought up in the faith and I had that you know upbringing so uh, i i i went towards the faith as like the final solution thank god uh i received the grace to be pulled out of it so we'll end it here right father kev this is from robert um he says father kevin what would be the number one change needed in ireland to stop the massive fall away from the faith <laughs> if I knew the answer, <laughs> obviously Christ is the answer. Uh, you know, get down on our knees and start praying. Saint uh, Jean Marie Vianney, he, he was the famous, you know, Cure Diaz. He, um, he, his parish was kind of just lost and 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 wasn't really practicing its faith. Very few of his parishioners were practicing 
the first and what did he do he 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 knelt down started to pray and do penance you know and asking god for the conversion of his parishioners and now is is one of the greatest saints uh that we have and uh his parish the whole of his parish converted became a center of of pilgrimage from all over the world and i think that is it's only god who can change the hearts of men intervention yeah yeah well look thank you guys for the the participation and for everything um we're going to be uh definitely continuing with this and hopefully like in all of this like my, one of my desires you know throughout these podcasts or firesides everything is that we always bring somehow get some hope in there you know because we've been touched by hope and maybe we get used to it like the the greatness of like the life of grace and what that actually does you know you can go to sleep at night you can have clarity of mind like ideas there's just loads of people out there that don't even have that so like i think an underlying thing hopefully is that hope is always coming out you know where we're going why we're here and like how to get there like that should be a really important you know theme so if you want we can end with a, a glory be and you can give us the blessing and then we'll till next week father son the holy spirit amen. amen glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen the lord be with you and with your spirit and may the blessing of almighty god father the son the holy spirit come down upon you all and remain with you always amen go in peace